fans, and welcome to episode 9.9 of Watching Sports and Sporting Watchers, otherwise known as WASP. Today, after the longest hiatus in WASP's history, Balaj and I reconvene in the smooth booth to look back on the conclusion of the NBA Finals, the whole Olympic Games, a bunch of NBA trades, and most relevantly, perhaps, to discuss our favorite Olympic-associated watchers ever. So let's dial into Carlsruhe from a sweltering Dresden and see what's going on with the fridge to my freezer, Balaj. How you doing, buddy? You'd like to be the freezer now. You'd like to be cold. I would love to be inside myself. Can I say that? Well, no. <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. Please tell the listeners what you're wearing. Uh, oh, well, what I'm wearing right now, um, for anyone that cares to know, is a Michelin Ness uh, Chicago Bulls vest. And I'm wearing shorts, some skimpy little black running shorts, which Balaz can't see, but he probably would like to be able to. Am I right? Wrong. Oh. But I, I, I see enough I see enough chest hair and skin, probably more than enough. The chest hair is becoming a bit of a trope on its own now. I don't really know why. Oh, okay, okay, maybe it's, I won't name any names, but, you know, it originated on a recent trip to The Hague when I was uh, fraternizing with the rest of the Fratello team and... Um, shall we say, certain members of the team who are less uh, hirsutely gifted on the chest region pointed out that I had some tufty chest hair that needed attention. I didn't think it ever did, but there you go. Yeah, it's definitely there. I can, I can see that, even through the camera. Okay, well, try not to focus on it. Look at my eyes. I'm not a piece of meat, you know? I'm not a piece of meat. No, you're far from it. Uh, anyway, look, um, it's been a while since we spoke to each other, properly because... Uh, even longer since we did the podcast, because we've been back on the road quite a bit. Uh, the whole Fratello team is moving around as we would have done pre-pandemic had I been a member of the Fratello team pre-pandemic. But um, it's it's quite intense, and we're heading off to Geneva soon. Uh, but before that, I have to go back to The Hague again. So this might be the last time we get to talk until even October. Crazy times, right? What have you been up to? Yeah, I don't think until October. you probably find another hour or two hours in your schedule but we'll see and actually net net next uh next episode has to be the 10th finally because we cheated our listeners creating 10 episode nines basically or we can start doing episode 9.9.1 until we finally reach that that uh that 10th episode we'll see um what i've been up to i've been uh i've been to hungary a few weeks ago for a few weeks that was my summer holiday. I got my second vaccine uh, in Hungary, just like I got the first one in April or May. So um, that was the well, one of the reasons. Um, and uh, I've been back since, uh, I think, uh, for two weeks now. It was insanely hot in Hungary. It was insanely cold and rainy in Germany. And I came back and now it's insanely hot in Germany as well. So I'm not complaining because um, I would take a, a hot day, you know, over five rainy days any time so yeah that's that's uh that's what's up with me not much i've been quite lazy not been running so much but i have to go back probably not now i was in i was running in hungary in 35 degrees 85 percent uh, humidity which wasn't a good idea and then after that uh i've decided to take hiatus that sounds brutal yeah, we do need to get back on the road. I haven't been running either. Just no real opportunity for it, but my knees are completely shot at the moment, so uh, it's giving me some trouble. Um, to stave off the depression that sometimes comes during a sporting lull, I have treated myself to a couple of new watches, of course, but I'm more interested to hear what you've bought yourself recently, because I know that you just had a delivery, so why don't you tell the listeners about what's just come into your collection? 
Yeah, it's actually something that, or the watches are something that I bought a while ago, but but um, due to obviously COVID and some unforeseen circumstances, I could not uh, take possession of these watches. Um, they were in service and blah, blah, blah. One had a major issue. Long story short, I bought three watches and a vintage Rodman jersey, which uh, which I'm just as happy as uh, about as uh, about the watches because uh, you don't really have Dennis Rodman champion Dallas Mavericks jerseys in the market anymore because he just played there for probably a few weeks, if at that. That's uh, regarding jerseys and sports. Regarding watches, I picked up four watches, two from uh, actually apparently my two favorite brands, Omega and Angelus. Where should I go with start? Should I start with Angelus or go Omega? What's your preference, well, Robert? I'm I'm really, really eager to hear about the Angelus watches, to be honest, because I've got a real crush on a lot of those old designs that you have in your collection. But mm. maybe maybe I should put that off to the very end. So I've got something to look forward to. Start us off with an Omega. Okay. Please. So I, I had a an, a Flightmaster, the nine eleven, um a while ago, and then I sold it because I never really bonded with the watch. The case was too big. It was too tall, and I don't know. I just, I just didn't like it. But I, I, um, the last time I met, or one of the last times I met uh, Chris Mann, uh, Mister Time for a Pint uh, from London, uh, he had his nine ten with him, and I, I was the first time probably I saw a nine ten aside from G Pop's uh, collection, which are new old stocks, and you can never touch them. Um, and uh, it was a pretty cool watch, and I like that it's thin. I like the dome crystal and everything. And I managed to find one on eBay of all places. And it looks to be quite original. Um, it has the thick case, so you can see it's still not been polished. The dial is a bit, um, well, tropical, if you will, but I really don't care. It's a tool watch. It used to be a, I hope it used to be belong to a pilot or somebody who used the functions of the GMT and the 24 hour indicator and whatnot. So um, that's my first peak, pick or piece um, with the, the original bracelet and obviously no case back marking of the plane it's pretty much gone as it is always with the flight masters but i love the watch i wore it yesterday i, I love its size i love that it's thin as i said the dome crystal and everything so you can see it in the camera but not that you don't know what i'm talking about it's a cool watch very cool watch happy with it yes uh, so this is a 910 you say that's a 910 yeah that's the first one so it, it has the thinner case and the, the movement with a 24-hour um indicator at the nine o'clock position the black and green you previously had uh, a 911 911 yes which has a thicker case now that you've owned them both which do you think is better so like which would you recommend to the listeners oh yeah okay um if you like big chunky watches well first of all don't even listen if you don't like big chunky watches because both of them are big and chunky but the 911 is really thicker taller uh and and heavier i i would say the nine. 11, if you've ever seen or wore a Mark III, that's pretty much the same. Whereas the 910 is is much slimmer. I mean, I can show you the other watch I'll talk about on the camera. You can see that the, the case profile is not much. It is a bit thicker, but it's not much thicker. Um, so it's it's. Um, I'm, I'm curious how the 910 wears on a leather strap, for example. So if you like big watches, but <clears throat> excuse me, not necessarily clunky watches, then I would say the 910. My pick is 910 any day. Why did they make the 911 thicker? You're testing my knowledge. Um, I have to get the Flightmaster book. I haven't haven't uh, bought that yet. I think it's a different movement. Both of them are hand-wound. Um, 
But I, I think there's there are three versions of the steel ones, right? There's a 910 and then two 911s. And both 911s pretty much look the same um, case-wise. And the 910, uh, caliber 910 is the thinner version. But uh, as I speak, you're probably Googling it, so you might be able to shine some light on that question. Yeah, I was having a look to see if I could find a very quick answer as to why uh, one was thicker than the other. But um, no, we'll have to dive into that one. Maybe you can do a comparison article for the site. Now you now you actually have them both. Or, well, you've had you've had the other one, and now you have this one. And this one is your preference, I think, probably quite clearly. So, uh, yeah, you can write a, a nice piece. Do you have any photos of the old one that you used to, uh, you used to have? Yeah, I think I do. I think I do. And if I don't, then Chris Chris has, I think all three of them were had in the past, so I, I can ask him to send some over. And, and I'm pretty sure there are some listeners who have 911s as well. And awesome. They might not even know the answer. But yeah, it's a good idea. It's a good, it's a, I think it's a good topic. And because uh, you read about the flight master quite a lot, but but um, but when you wear it, when you see it, it's, it's, it's a completely different feeling having the watch on the wrist. And I have a big wrist, as you know. And, and, well, hopefully next time I see you, I'll be able to show you the watch. We'll see. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, listeners, if any of you are Flightmaster experts and you know the answer to this question off the top of your head or have any interesting anecdotes about the watch, even the 910 or the 911 or, or any other uh, issues, please put them in the comments section on this article on Fratello because we'd love to know and uh, we'll do our own research. But of course, you can't beat it when it comes from the horse's mouth, can you? Right. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious what people need to say about that. What's next? Uh, next watch um, well it's again you, you said Omega so that's another Omega this is um, this has been a long time coming it's uh, an Omega Speedmaster Professional with the applied logo and the dot over 90 bezel and it's my very first 321 uh, I have a watch which is a transitional which looks exactly like that but that's from 1968 1868 and that's already the, with the 861 movement that watch, this watch, looks exactly like that, but this one has a 321. I've never had a 321 in my collection, and now I do. So just to um, draw a straight line between a comparison you made before on camera, you held this one up next to the 910 Flightmaster just to show that the thicknesses of the two of a, a Speedy Pro and a Flightmaster are not, not hugely apart. No, I mean it's it's obviously thicker, and I'm sure that on paper the specs look make it sound worse than it is. But yeah, in reality, that's not much bigger at all. A couple of mil. I can measure it quickly. Oh, go ahead. The Speedmaster is fourteen point three, and the Flightmaster is fifteen point five. Okay, so only one point two mil then. Is it, is that right? My maths is right. Okay, good. So yeah, that's that's really not a lot at all. It does. It looks even bigger than that on from the side profile, to be honest, because it is such a chunk of a watch, but. That's a good good point from wearability there. Not so bad at all. I mean, it's and it's forty three. Um, the Flightmaster is, is forty three in diameter, and the Speedy is forty two, as we know. So it's even not much, uh, not much wider. It's just that, yeah, it's a completely different profile. Obviously, you have the big uh, hooded lugs, uh, whereas the Speedy is more open. But yeah, this is my first uh, three twenty one. It was service when I received it. It had a bit of an issue. And um, it needed a service, and um, now it's it's running, and it's it's beautiful and it looks exactly like my other one, but um, that's the craziness about this hobby, right? You can wear two watches that look exactly the same, and people will be like, "Why?" Well, they wouldn't even notice, would they? I mean, that's the thing. That's the really crazy thing. Um, what strap do you have that on? Because I see you've got it on a rather handsome-looking uh, light yeah. brown rally strap. 
Yeah, this is one that's coming. Um, I I owe you my strap review for um, which is a, a look back on one of the one of our our um, companies that we featured in the past, and this is the next one, probably for September. This is uh, the first strap maker that we have on what strap review from Canada. After the article, the 50th article, and people said, um, "There's this guy from Canada. He makes cool straps." And Canada was missing for my white strap review map. And um, Terry was gracious enough to uh, get in touch with me, or I got in touch with him, I can't remember. And um, he made two straps, and that's one of those. That looks awesome. I have to say, it's a great match to the watch, but like the quality, the camera quality we have between us right now, dear listeners, is not amazing. But I have to say, it stood out to me even when Balaj had it right next to his body, wasn't holding up to the screen. Like it just looks great. What a great color and like sharp, sharp cut throughs on those rally. Rally holes. Yeah, it's very, very nicely done. He sent me two straps. The other one is not in the room. That's an interesting one because that's a reversible strap, believe it or not. You can flip, oh. the, uh, flip the, uh, the buckle and it, one side is blue, the other side is gray. And you can, you can flip the strap around. It's quite a cool I strap know. as well. So coming up next, not next, next, but after this one. Are they made of uh, elk or moose? Whatever they call it in Canada. No, I... I I have to say, moose, I, I need to I check. I think moose. No, I it think it's just moose. regular. The Manitoba moose. Manitoba I guess it's regular. Moose. No, not sure about that. Regular moose leather? Is it moose I will, leather? Uh, I will let you know in the article. I will let you know in the article. Can't I can't wait to, to find out. I hope that they do moose leather straps. I would like a moose leather strap. I like moose a lot. You know I like the Manitoba moose. But you want to kill them then and get their skin. I don't want to kill them for the straps. I just, I'd, I'd like to have their skin after they're done with it, living in it, you know, totally, totally okay with that. Okay. I mean, if you, if you died, I'd like a strap made out of, made out of you. <laughs> that is next level creepy. I know. I know. But I didn't say like a mask. Now we're, now we're going to, yeah, we're going to territories. We don't want to just set a strap, you know, like, come on. Um, okay. You're just a wild beast waiting to be tanned. Jesus. Let's move on to the next watches quickly before we jump into the into today's topic. Wait, 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 wait. Let's do something different. Uh, since we're talking about moose and animals with fine antlers. You are talking about... I'm, I'm talking about moose. Yeah, I'm going down the moose hole. Don't want, don't want to follow me down there, trust me. Let's talk about the NBA Finals because that was contested between uh, one team with a, a blazing basketball as a logo, looks like a sun. And another team with a proudly antlered beast as its mascot. A moose. It's not a moose. It's close to a moose. A reindeer. Yeah, it's not a reindeer. But it's close to a reindeer. It's a... What is it? A buck. buck. A mighty stag. Yeah. It's a man. It's a man deer. A man deer. Okay, so we are talking about, of course, the Milwaukee Bucks facing off against the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals. Last time we spoke, I believe the Suns were too zip to the good, right? Yes. And um, I can't seem to find that, that wasp note in my notes where we had the predictions. I can't remember what we predicted, but I think I, I, think I predicted the Suns and you jumped the ship and you said it's going to be the Bucks. I definitely said the Bucks in seven. Uh, so I wasn't exactly yeah. right. It was the Bucks in six. They went on a tear up and won four in a row. And um, yeah. after that fourth game, which I think was back mm-hmm. in Phoenix, I think that was the one that really broke the Sun's heart. And yeah. that was it. It just they just looked like a shattered team. After that, they they just felt like it had, it had gone, and it clearly had. And uh, 
Giannis was unbelievable. So no, he did. They deserved it. Absolutely deserved it. I mean, I wanted the Suns to win because I really like Chris Paul, and I feel that he's towards the end of his career, and this might have been his only chance to get a championship ring. Um, but hey, um, they they played great. Uh, the box was just unstoppable, and Giannis is, I think, uh, well, he's the future of the NBA. Funnily enough, a European guy. Look at the Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> Who's the future of the Dallas Mavericks? Funnily bitch. enough, another European guy. Yeah. So um, the game is getting more and more international, and I think it's it it helps for the NBA because it's interesting. You can you can relate to people. You could not relate to Charles Barkley in the 90s, right? Speaking of the Suns mm-hmm, or Michael mm-hmm. Jordan, as much as you can to a Greek guy or a, a Slovenian guy or a Serbian guy or whoever. So um, it's really good for the NBA to have a team with with a team captain that's actually, well, representing Africa because he's, he's Nigerian or, uh, or heritage and he's proud of that and also Greece. I think he's more Greek than Nigerian, but he's, uh, but obviously he talks about his heritage as well, so. It's really good for the game. Talking of Donkic, um, we are in a weird uh, purple patch of talent for the Slovenians right now. I mean, obviously, Tadej Pogacar just won a second Tour de France. Um, and our friend of the show, Primoz Roglic, dropped out of the tour after, I think, stage eight, because he suffered some bad crashes early on and he was way off the pace and Pogacar just was not going to be caught this time. And Roglic made the very smart decision, in my opinion, to step away and focus on the Olympic time trial, which he duly won. So we uh, we have an Olympic champion um, on the show now. If you want to go back and listen listen to the interview that we did with Primoz, that would be cool. And he is now heading off to the Vuelta, which he's won for the past two mm-hmm. years. So even though the disappointment of a tour must have been massive, this year cannot end as anything but a success with that Olympic gold. And now heading into the Vuelta looking strong, he doesn't have a tour in his legs. You know, the Olympics was just one time trial. It's a tough day for sure, but I mean, he's a pro athlete. He'll be ready to go, ready to ride that three-week race. And who knows, maybe make it three on the bounce. That'd be pretty exciting, wouldn't it? Yeah, very cool, actually. And congratulations to him because, um, yeah, he is the first, uh, the first uh, hopefully of many, uh, Olympic champions on WASP. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. That is cool, just right? a few, Just a few months after the interview, boom. There you go. And, you know, we wished him luck directly in the Olympics. And I like to think mm. that had like maybe a 90% uh, effect um, on him winning. And, you know, obviously yeah, his dedication yeah. to his craft and like all the sacrifices he's made throughout his life and, you know, the incredible emotional strain of being a pro athlete probably accounts for like 10%. But, you know, being on Wasp was definitely, definitely the uh, prime motivator for that gold. So. Well, I mean, when when you're you know when you're when you're fighting for the gold medal and your your muscles are hurting and you're sweaty and you're tired, you only have to think of a cool place. You think of the fridge and the freezer, right? There you go. See, we should open our own sports consultancy business. Sports psychology with fridge and freezer. Stay cool under pressure. Exactly with fridge and freezer. Now, congratulations again to Primoz Roglic. It was as uh, an amazing achievement. Oh, he absolutely battered everybody else. Yeah. He battered them. It was just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant to watch. True, so yeah, true. brilliant stuff. Well, you know what? That's actually led us maybe segued into um, another section that we wanted to talk about. Um, we're, we're sort of staggering these things a little bit, but I like the way the show's flowing. So let's just go with it. Um, Olympic moments. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we just talked about um, Primoz's uh, amazing victory in the time trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll leave that one there. Very standout moment for the show. But let's talk now about our personal 
highlights from the Olympics. Okay, I want you to give me your bronze, silver, and gold, either performances or just moments. They don't have to be on the track or in the pool or whatever. You know, it can just be like a show of Olympic spirit, anything you like, mm-hmm. or like records, whatever. So go ahead and give me your bronze medalist for the Olympics. Okay, so my bronze medalist is Annika Schlö or Schlö from Germany, who is, uh, I don't know, I guess outside of uh, uh, Pentathlon, nobody really knows who she is. Uh, I didn't know, obviously, before the Games. And she was that, that lady who had this incident with the horse. Uh, unfortunately, she couldn't uh, finish the Games because of that. And um, I mean, it's quite interesting uh, to see the, the, the feedback or the backlash that she got after that. People were blaming her for being, um, mis, you know, mistreating the horse and being aggressive. I think her coach was disqualified because he hit the horse. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't know, you know, how you treat a horse. Although during my holidays, for the first time in my 37 years, I uh, tried horseback riding. And um, it's a scary, scary experience, I have to say that. But uh, that's just a side note. Yeah, I, I think she's, um, you know, she was crying, obviously she... She she looked, you know, depressed in a way, or 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 shocked by the by this experience that the horse just would not work with her, and I I felt sorry for her. Um, so I would really like to, you know, put her in a in a positive light. And and Annika, we're really with you, and you did a great job. And I mean, if I look at her Wikipedia, she's a world champion in 2011, 2012, 2016, 17, and 21. So she's a European champion in 2014, 15, and 17. So she's you know. She's not a not a nobody. It's an interesting uh, interesting topic to have raised. I didn't see the supposed ill treatment of the horse myself either, but I'm not an expert when it comes to horse riding. Far from it. Yeah, I mean, but I did find the whole uh, rule thing in the modern pentathlon kind of odd that you're just given a random horse because, funnily enough, that both modern pentathlons, male and female, were won by British athletes, and coincidentally, they also had the same horse. Uh, they they were just randomly allocated the same horse in their final round, and you know, given what happened to Annika, you kind of think that's that's a huge, a huge factor. Like everything could swing on what horse you get. If you get one that just refuses to play ball, then you are screwed. Like she was, there's nothing she could do about it. Um, and if she did hit the horse inappropriately or whatever, then I'm sure it was born out of the absolute frustration of being uh, a pro athlete that's trained their entire careers to win and, or give themselves a chance to win an Olympic gold and then find their hopes scuppered by nothing but misfortune. Yeah. I, I don't get it, right? Maybe you could give me an angle that I haven't been able to find myself, but why, why should the athletes not be allowed their own horses? Surely, like, horsemen or horsewomanship should be encouraged as part of, like, the whole process. Like, if you have a particularly good relationship with a horse then it can be an yeah. advantage for you. I don't get it. Like in dressage, you would never imagine giving like someone just a random horse off the street. I mean, you don't normally find random horses on the street, but you know what I mean? Just like a horse out of a field. You're like, oh yeah, go and like make it dance. Like, that's not going to happen. It takes years. So what's the deal? Why? So if you look into the history of, of modern uh, pentathlon, then it says that Kubertin created a contest to stim- uh, simulate the experience of a 19th century cavalry soldier behind enemy lines. He must ride an unfamiliar horse, fight enemies with pistol and sword, swim and run to return to his own soldiers. So there's your answer. They need to ride an unfamiliar horse, just like a cavalry soldier would 
have done in in uh, the 1800s. Right. Okay. That's. I mean, that is horse happy. I'm afraid because it's not the 1800s, <laughs> and the event was created as like okay, this this cool little exercise inspired by the concept of someone being behind enemy lines, but they're not. They're at the Olympics. So okay, one answer. Could they not all ride the same horse? Or does the horse being tired then come into a factor? But surely it's better to have a tired horse. You know, like, yeah. you know, it's like skiers. When they go down the mountain, like, the order in which they're drawn or, you know, whatever the weather's doing makes a difference on the outcome. That's fine. Give these guys the same horse. It's an unfamiliar horse, just a random horse. And then they're all subject to the same same foibles of that horse's character. Yeah. It's just, this is just not fair. Like, And more to the point, like, okay, the origins and the spirit of a modern pentathlon are all well and good. And I'm sure that maybe the, even the athletes, even perhaps Annika, who herself may well be a student of the sport she loves so much, would argue with me here and say, no, we have to maintain the traditions. We have to stick to the original concept. Yeah. But I don't think that you should have to. It's 2021. This is the Olympic Games. Like These athletes, I would imagine, don't wear someone else's shoes yeah. when they fence or like you know, wear someone else's goggles when they swim. You know, it, It's just... It's unnecessarily stupid. Yeah, well, or, or at least change the horse, right? Because they could see that that was not her fault. That the horse was just she could just not work with it. And this this lady, she's a professional. She knows how to treat the horse. So it's obviously not her fault that the horse was was distraught for whatever reason. Then they should just swap it and give her another horse. Let's try it again. Um, because it's not. It's you know, if your I don't know if your sword breaks in fencing, you're probably going to get another sword, right? You're not going to fence with a broken sword if that ever happened i don't know that's an interesting analogy um i guess she would fence with the broken sword till the end of the point maybe i don't know and at a point but she couldn't even start it because the horse was just i mean she was unable to control the horse it was so she, she couldn't finish i don't know in, in any case well look what you're saying makes sense to me but like surely that would definitely go against it if you're gonna have an unfamiliar horse then the reason why it's unfamiliar is because it's a challenge to control yeah. right yeah so the, you know the, the traditionalists are not going to agree with that. They they might as well like just let them have their own horses. And then if the horse is spooked or bolts or misbehaves, then you know they've got no real excuse. I mean, okay, fair enough, that happens, and that that would be really sad for any rider. But then at least you know they would know. Oh well, it's you know it's the pressure of competition. It happens to everyone. But this is this is something completely different. The traditionalists pro- probably didn't like the fact that there's uh, skateboarding at the Olympics, and there is so. And uh, maybe it's time to uh, rethink some of those uh, regulations. Yeah. So anyways, that was my my uh, bronze moment. Uh, what was yours? Okay. My bronze moment was not a sporting one, really. It is attached to um, a wonderful achievement, which was many years in the making. But it was Tom Daly, uh, the British diver, knitting in the crowd. He's a lovely, lovely man. Everybody loves Tom Daly. He's a great uh, ambassador for the sport, sport in general. And... Uh, he finally got his Olympic gold. I can't believe it, actually. You know, when Tom Daly first came on the scene in, I think it was 2008, I guess, that Beijing, I think he was, well, he's very young, around 14, 15, 16, something like that. And he was a very young, like, pretty boy with a good sort of media sensibility about him. And you thought, oh, this kid's going to be like a star. But is he really an Olympic champion? Is he really got that kind of sporting caliber? Or is he just good-looking and cute and talks well you know he looked to me like oh he'll finish 12th in the olympics he'll always qualify he'll be there or thereabouts like in the early rounds but he'll never really threaten for a medal 
But I didn't think that at this stage of his career he would actually get a gold, and he and he did in the a ten meter synchronized. And uh, there you go. He really was as good as everybody hoped he could be. And after all those years of trying and uh, being under the spotlight since he was a kid, going through all of his like personal um, developments uh, in public, you know, his his dad unfortunately died quite young a, a few years ago, and his dad was always by his side in the early days and. Uh, it was, you know, touching moment when Tom finally won gold that, you know, he, he just sort of like said he'd love his dad to be able to see it and all that. Um, and he, when he, when he came out and he got married, uh, to his husband, Dustin, and they had a, had a, a child together, like all of this was playing out in, in the public eye and, uh, to keep it all together and to keep on plugging away. I mean, he's an old man for a di- for diving now, I think, you know, he's in his late twenties, um, uh, heaven, heaven knows if he's going to come back again for another Olympics, but he's done it. He's at the top of the mountain. And how did he celebrate? He went and sat in the stands to watch the women's diving competition and was knitting in the process of knitting a, I think a jumper, a woolly jumper. And it was just adorable. Yeah. Guy's great. I love him. Who doesn't love Tom Daly? I like him. I wouldn't love him, but I like him. It was funny. It was interesting. I, I've never seen that before, but, but yeah, I mean, you said the guy's he's still young he's 27 years old uh he's got a lot of jumpers to knit or sweaters or whatever it was <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah quite so quite so <laughs> he can start his own business i'm sure everybody would love a sweater knitted by tom daly he'll, he'll never be uh never be short of projects oh yeah if you're if you have a a, a sweater company or anything like that now is the chance to to ride that 50 minute fame oh that'd be cool maybe we could uh commission him to make us a couple of big like purple uh wasp sweaters with like a luminous green you know wasp across the middle that'd be pretty nice i'd wear that in the winter no problem me too any day tom if you're listening um we need your help um yeah we're at what size what size are you Balazs? He's i'm size l rob is probably xs or something like that so <laughs> one's gonna take you maybe a day the other one probably a week just do a couple of larges it'll be all right i'm, I'm planning on putting on a bit of weight there you go he likes it baggy i like it baggy okay um Right, that was my bronze medal. So Tom Daly knitting in the crowd. And also, of course, well done, Tom, for winning the gold. And who is your silver? Yeah, my silver is actually a gold and two golds, which is one gold medal, right? Wrong. Okay, so I'm talking about the, um, the high jump, the high jump um, gold medal share between an Italian and a Qatari athlete. We talked about this before the, the, the show, you remember. Um, it was Mutaz Bashim of Qatar and uh, Gianmarco Tamberi from Italy. Um, both of them actually, um, were perfect, uh, in, in the jumps until the end when I think it was set to the Olympic record height of two meters, 40, 239, something like that. And, um, they, they just agreed to, to share the Olympic gold instead of, uh, competing and, and, um, it's something you don't see often. Um, but it, I think it also shows true sportsmanship when it says, hey, listen, I'm, I'm happy that you are just as good as I am or I am just as good as you are. If, if you're okay with that, let's split that gold in the middle. You take 50, I take 50. And that's what they did. And um, I think it was it's one of the most memorable moments of, of the Olympic Games, aside from the, the sweatshirts. <laughs> it's, uh, it's certainly a memorable moment. But I feel like I'm maybe the only person that isn't entirely on board with this. And I love a good story of, of, of Olympic spirit. But to be a curmudgeonly bastard, if I might use such a term, 
I'm like, what the hell? This is a competition. Like, surely you've got to, like, go for it. Like, surely you have to. Like, the mechanism of them being able to decide to share an Olympic goal, to me, is flawed. Like, I'm all for a tie, like a dead heat. Mm-hmm. You know, if, it, if you literally cross the line at the same time, share the gold. Brilliant. You touch the wall in a pool at the same time, share the gold. Brilliant. If you touch the wall a split second before Michael Phelps, give him the gold. Brilliant. Fine. You know, all that stuff is fine. But this, like a decision, like what if all eight runners in the 100 meter final went, you know what? Let's just share the goal. Let's not even race. Let's not find out well, who the best is. Yeah, I, I hear you. But they technically, they technically were perfect. They both were perfect. You know, they, yeah, they, 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 went, could, they would have failed. Like it's like, sure. I mean, six, you can, you can set it to six meters high, but nobody can reach that. Of course, one's going to fall, but yeah, but you can set it to um, 237. Uh, you can even drop the height 235 and see who fails first. Like who blinks. You can do a shootout. It is not impossible. Like that mechanism exists. Like it, it may not be like trialed or done before in the past. I just mm-hmm. can't countenance a situation where the athletes are actually allowed to choose to not compete and to share a goal. Um, couple of things that spring to mind, like the European Championship, we've decided it on a penalty shootout, which England lost, mm-hmm. of course. Now, penalties, like, uh, yeah, they just exist to break a tie. There has to be a tiebreaker in a competition like this. The only chance of splitting medals is when you literally get the same time, like you can't rerun 100 meters. I mean, some people might say maybe you could rerun 100 meters if you, if you had a, a dead heat. You know, you just make those two runners run off for the goal. I wouldn't be entirely against that either, to be quite frank. I think that would be cool. So it's maybe it's just me, but like all, and you know, it's a really lovely story and it's great Olympic spirit, blah, blah, blah. And it's a great mm-hmm. sort of PR move and I'm all for that. But like, I think that the sort of the discussion is kind of lost amidst this um, warm, fuzzy feeling that everybody's, uh, everybody's like filling up on. I think like, is it a good idea? Yeah. Should it be allowed? Is that cool? I don't know if that's cool. Is it, should it be allowed to change horses if one horse goes crazy? Yeah, I, well, you know? yeah. I mean, I I think that there's some there's some crazy crazy flaws flaws there, and like there's a lot of wiggle room in some sports and not so yeah. much in others. I don't know. Well, in any case, uh, Bashrim, uh, with this gold medal, he has now the set because I think he won silver in Rio and um, uh, bronze in the um, London Olympic Games. So now he has bronze, silver, and and uh, gold. And I think, as far as I know, they're they're good friends. Uh, the the um, the Italian guy and the and the Qatari guy, so Gianmarco Tamperi and uh, and um, uh, Mutas Bashim. Well, that makes it worse. That just makes it worse. Come on. Anyways, that's my silver story. The gold that's actually two golds or one half gold. Look, I'm sorry if anyone's like upset by my like. Um you know, cutthroat attitude to this here, but I mean, I just want to present like the other side of the, uh, of the, of the story. Like there's no one's talking about it. Is it cool? I don't know. I, I hear you. Yeah, I absolutely. absolutely understand you. Uh, it makes sense what you're saying. Mm. And memorable, heartwarming and memorable. Let's, absolutely. Okay. My silver medal is uh, a quick one. It's just the performance of my hero, uh, or heroine, should I say Lisa Carrington, the, uh, kayaking superstar from New Zealand. She's just um, totally uh, indomitable. She won three golds um, this this year in Tokyo, the K1 200 meter, the K1 500, and the K2 500. And uh, that means she now has five Olympic golds in total. She won the K1 200 in London and Rio, and she picked up a bronze in Rio in the K1 500. She's won the World Championships more times than I've even been in a kayak. So uh, despite being a keen 
kayak and myself that just goes to show what kind of a champion she is she's completely awesome i am like i am actually i love tom daly but i'm a little bit in love with lisa carrington so a lot of love on my side not as much as the italian and the qatari but you know that's my silver medal lisa that's a sweet one she's just awesome she's my backdrop on my computer and you don't want to get uh, get a slap from her she could knock me out i'm sure she's uh, biceps are like my thighs yes um I think that's why I like it. Um, and <laughs> gold medal for you, please. <laughs> uh, so my gold medal is, um, well, I have to go home, right? It's a, it's a Hungarian medal in fencing. Wow, you won one. Amazing. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. One gold. Yeah, we won more than one, but... Sausage making, was it? Sausage making, fe- uh, fencing, canoeing, <laughs> swimming, and wrestling, pretty much. And water polo, but only bronze. Um, yeah, Aaron Siladi, he, he won in, um, he won the gold in, um, men's individual saber fencing, uh, sabre. And the cool thing about it is that he went in Tokyo 2020, in, uh, Rio 2016 and London 2012. So he's got three consecutive gold medals from the Olympics. So tell me this, right? Has anybody ever won three consecutive Olympics uh, in the past in fencing in his class in Sabre? Can't remember exactly, but I think there's maybe two other than him, but way earlier. So I, I think in, in the modern games, no. No one's won four, right? No, I don't think so. So he has now, he's got the largest gap between his first and his last consecutive goal, thanks to Tokyo being delayed a year. So yeah. over nine years, he's remained undefeated at the Olympics. Yeah. Since 2012 uh, in London. Yeah, 2012, 2016, and 2021. Gold, gold, gold. And this year, he also won a bronze uh, with the team. You know what? With sports like fencing and uh, and combat sports, all the combat sports, mm-hmm. boxing, judo, taekwondo, whatever, I always find myself thinking, repeating those championship wins must be, or seems to me, a lot harder than, say, Usain Bolt winning three golds in a row in the 100 or 200 or the four by one before he had one of them stripped. But you know, my point is like, there are some sports like track and field specifically um, where it just measures like your ability to perform something against a clock or a bar or a, a stick. When there's someone else involved trying to hit you with a sword or trying to punch you in the face or kick you in the, in the leg, it adds this element of randomness that you just can't really account for for that period of time. So to be like a, a defending champion, a three-time winner on the trot in a sport like fencing where the other person's got a sword too. You know, it's not just you trying to like hit targets. That other person's trying to hit you. That to me is like really, really, really special. And I think it should be looked at in a slightly different way. Sure. And when, you, when you're competing for your first medal, you're striving for greatness, striving for the medal. When you have three, everybody comes to kick your ass. Everybody wants to beat the, the three-time champion, right? Right. It's a, quite interesting. I watched a documentary on YouTube about Luke Longley's life. Uh, believe it or not, there's a one-hour documentary recently done by an Australian channel about uh, Luke Longley and after the, the last dance came out. And, um, and uh, he said the same thing. He said, you know, when, when 96, when Michael Jordan came back and the Bulls started the second three-peat, they were just hungry because they had three championships and then they had two years break basically while Jordan was away and now and then they wanted to to win it and then the second year they repeated it was awesome but then the third year they knew that everybody is now coming for them because they have five championships in seven years 
And uh, that had a huge pressure on them, on the whole team. Now, remember, in fencing, yes, you have a team. But at the end of the day, when you are actually fencing, when you're fighting, you're one on one with your with your opponent. So there's no team behind you. There's nobody to pull you when you're down. You have to be there mentally. And if you're the champion, the the, the, the reigning champion, three-time champion, everybody wants to kick your ass. <laughs> it gets harder, right? And like these athletes, it's great as they grow and they, yeah. you know, their careers like start to shape into a narrative that we can already see stretching off into the sunset. Like they have to play this role almost like in a movie about their own lives while it's happening. You know, you start off as the young, hungry, up-and-coming contender. You win, and then you become the defending champion. And then you reach this stage like he's at now where he was sort of securing legendary status, not just within his own country or within his own enclave of fans, but within the sport. Like now he's transcended. He's gone somewhere else that no one else has done. So that's, well, not in modern memory. But on the other hand, you can lose in your next Olympic Games and you're still, you know, be a three-time champion. I mean, come on, four Olympic Games... That's that's 16 years, 17 years, but they can never take that championships away from you. Well, if you get lucky, you can get five Olympics in uh, in 16 years, right? Because if you if your career falls at the start of a cycle, then you can go in yeah. year one, and then you, yeah. And it sounds like it has gone. It's broken quite nicely for him. He's 31. 2012, nine years ago, he was 22 when he had his first, and then 26, and now 31. Okay, thirty-one years old. So thirty-four next time round. Still, uh, yeah, it seems like it seems like the sort of age fences would start to think about hanging it up. But I reckon he could probably. Do you think he will come back? I guess he will. Won't he? I, I think he will. Yeah, I think he will. He's 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 very motivated, and, and um, he was really. Um, sometimes you can feel like okay, this is going to be the last one. You know, like when Phelps came back, it was everybody knew it. It's kind of it's kind of over um, for him. It's really not over. He and and. Uh, I think he's he's super motivated. He's super young still, as you said. Only needs to wait for three more years. And they'll be like back in Paris, back in Europe. No jet lag, no time difference. Piece of cake. Piece of cake, hopefully. So that's my gold moment. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm a fan of his now. I didn't know anything about him before we started this show, but um, I want to I want to cheer him on there with you go. next time. We'll have to go to Paris together next time and watch him. Oh, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Three years time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Three hours from three hours from Casper, man, with with a TGV. Piece of cake. Same from Rotterdam, or even less, in fact. So I just need to move to the Netherlands. You can leave from the morning, watch the game, and come back in the evening. That's not bad, is it? God bless Europe and Schengen. Okay, um, where are we? Are we up to? We're up to my golden moment. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, I think this is pretty low hanging fruit, but I'm going to cheat as I often do, um, and I'm going to actually put two two competitions in there, but they're both in the same sport: the 400 meter hurdles finals. Both male and female competitions were unbelievable. Now, um, there's been a lot of talk this year about track um, at Tokyo and the shoes that the athletes are wearing. Uh, the track is supposedly a little bit springy, which is designed for fast times. That uh, is uh, nothing new. All like hosts for these major events try and eke as much as they can out of the equipment they lay on for the athletes because everybody wants to see bigger, faster, stronger but it really came to the fore in the 400-meter hurdles. And Sydney McLaughlin, um, another one of my heroes, I would say, up-and-coming athlete in the American college scene, has broken the world record again, uh, which she needed to, to win, because it was a tightly, very tightly fought race. And it would have probably been the absolute moment of the Games if it weren't for Karsten Varholm of Norway <laughs> and Rai Benjamin of the States, both running 
what would have been world record times. The crazy thing is the guy, um, I think it was Santos, his name, the guy that came in third in that final, he ran the fourth fastest time ever. So Varholm was the previous world record holder. Both Varholm and Benjamin beat Varholm's old time. And then Santos's time was immediately behind Varholm's, only by a couple of hundredths of a second. So we almost had the top three times of all time running the same final by three men. <laughs> Um, as it happened, we had four. So they are the three fastest men of all time now over 400 meter hurdles. And they were all on the podium together at Tokyo 2021. And uh, I mean, come on. I don't know how I feel like for uh, Ry Benjamin. I don't know if I feel really happy for him for to have put in such an amazing performance to have run the second fastest time ever and to have won a silver medal and, you know, be on the stage with our home and that kind of moment and spectacle. But it's brutal. It's so brutal. Like, I know that he's only run that time because, let's say, the track is really favorable for fast times. And Varholm has only run the time he's run because the track is favorable for fast times. And yes, you'd expect Varholm to beat Benjamin slightly because he is probably slightly better. But it just feels so cruel that when Benjamin looks at, like, the record books, he'll see, like, his name uh, next to a time that had he run that race two seconds earlier would have at least been the world record for a second and a half. You know, and it's just so, so snide. Still, it is just the greatest, um, greatest final uh, com- competition I think I've ever seen in the Olympics. I always point to Michael Johnson's 400 meters in Atlanta mm-hmm. 96 as my favorite single race of pure domination, just amazing, like skill and racecraft and just composure to, to do what he had to do to, to do what everyone knew he should be doing. And Roger Black coming home in a glorious silver medal position. That was just wonderful. But this one, I mean, this is just nuts. This is just great athletes, the greatest athletes we've ever seen over this distance, over this discipline, laying it all on the line when it really counts. So, yeah, that's my golden moment. Carsten and Sydney. It's a very, very good one. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. But that's, that's what, what's what sports is about, right? It's, it's not always your performance that's going to make a difference. Sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's preparation. <clears throat> sometimes it's your body. Sometimes it's your horse. Sometimes it's the sweater you knit. You never know. Right, 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 right. I wonder if Tom could go into uh, knitting horse cozies for, for <laughs> difficult horses in the modern bedtime. Blinders. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Horses. That would be horse cute. Blinders. Well, would you look at that? We've actually been chatting for almost an hour now. So rather than carry on uh, with our planned conversation, because we want to get back to your other new watches, of course, and we also want to talk about some NBA trades, And we also want to talk about our favorite Olympic watches ever. Let's just stop the episode here and we'll pick it up in uh, a few days. We'll do another one. So there will be an episode 9.91. It's going to happen. Oh. It's going to happen. True. It's going to happen. True. So until then, please, sports fans, stay glued to the TV in case anything wonderful happens. We want to hear about it. Let us know in the comment section on the article on fratellowatches.com. And if there's anything you want us to discuss, or if you have any suggestions of who we could get on the show to talk sports and watches, please hit us up there. Until next time, stay safe, keep on ticking. Let's go!